Welcome to Scrubcast, where we explore clinical, translational, and health services research from Stanford University's Department of Surgery through conversations with the authors. I'm Rachel Baker. Today we're speaking with Dr. Ron Dolman, who likely needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Dr. Dolman is a professor of vascular surgery here at Stanford University, where he holds the Chidester Professorship. He is also the Vice Chair of Clinical Affairs and a past president of the Society for Vascular Surgery. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about the trial and opportunities to improve care for patients with abdominal aortic aneurysm disease. Dr. Dahlman is the PI on a new clinical trial that has just started recruiting patients. And of course, where there is an opportunity for an acronym, we just have to take it. Tell me, what does LIMIT stand for? Limiting uh, progression of abdominal aortic aneurysm disease with metformin. I should start by saying that the LIMIT trial for those who are interested is listed on clinicaltrials.gov and is being coordinated uh, by the Stanford Center for Clinical Research, SCCR. I have two co-principal investigators, uh, Ying Lu, who's a data scientist, and uh, Ken Mahaffey, who's a clinical trialist in the Department of Medicine. And there's many, many other individuals uh, involved in the trial, as, as you can imagine. It's sponsored by the National Institutes of Health, Heart, Lung, and Blood, uh, NHLBI, and uh, it really did just uh, start enrolling at scale. Now, I'm pretty sure my mom takes metformin for her diabetes. How did it end up in a AAA study? So it's an interesting observation now over several decades that unlike every other cardiovascular disease endpoint, uh, it seems as though patients who have diabetes have less risk associated with abdominal aortic aneurysm disease. That means that they're less likely to develop aortic aneurysms, and when they do develop, they seem to enlarge uh, less rapidly, and patients are less likely to die of ruptured aortic aneurysm if they're diabetic. As, as I mentioned, every other diabetes kind of vascular disease interface, diabetes seems to augment the progression and, and risk associated with the underlying problem, whether it's coronary disease or cerebrovascular disease, lower extremity ischemia, et cetera. This seems to be unique. And so we and others over the last several years have been trying to study why that might be. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are a number of diabetes-specific consequences, which uh, we probably don't have time to get into, but we've published a few papers on different aspects of that. But it's also possible that the medications that diabetic patients take to treat their diabetes, there may be off-target or uh, secondary consequences of those medications uh, in terms of their relationship with aortic aneurysm disease and hence metformin. So to your point, uh, many patients with type 2 diabetes take metformin to help manage their blood sugar. In fact, metformin is the most commonly prescribed drug worldwide for uh, management of type 2 diabetes. As an interesting uh, side point, the most common man-made chemical found in Lake Michigan, for example, is in fact metformin because it's excreted uh, without any metabolic breakdown uh, through the urinary tract and it goes through these waste treatment plants around the Great Lakes and it, you know, all that gets uh, kind of eventually winds up in the Great Lakes. And so uh, it's, it's ubiquitous in our environment, but it has many interesting secondary effects beyond just treating diabetes. So for example, patients who have uh, diabetic patients taking metformin appear to have a lower cancer burden than uh, 
either diabetic patients or those uh, non-diabetic patients who are also not, not taking metformin. And in fact, there's several dozen uh, clinical trials now on uh, clinicaltrials.gov looking at adding metformin to existing chemotherapy regimens for a variety of solid organ tumors to see if it improves uh, efficacy of some of those uh, protocols. But um, in, the, in, in this particular circumstance uh, related to abdominal aortic aneurysm disease, when we were kind of investigating this hypothesis about maybe it's the meds and not the diabetes itself, uh, we used the STARD database, it used to be called STRIDE here at Stanford, but now it's called STAR, and it's a, it's a compilation of all the medical records of patients who've ever received care here at Stanford, kind of a, a data dump from the EHR. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we looked at very simply at patients who had aortic aneurysms who were diabetic, who were taking metformin or not, and then looked at the rate of their aneurysm enlargement uh, over a number of years, and we found at least preliminarily, that diabetic patients taking metformin, their aneurysms appeared to grow less rapidly. In that original 2016 publication, we then did some conformational work in a, a euglycemic or non-diabetic mouse model showing that metformin also reduced progression of those experimental aneurysms. So because that was a relatively small number of patients, we then did a validation study in the entire U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs data sets called mm -hmm. VINCI, V-I-N-C-I, again, kind of an aggregation of all the medical records of all patients receiving care in the U.S. Departments of Veterans Affairs healthcare system. And again, we found the same result. Uh, in this case, 13,000 patients uh, with diabetes who had neurotic aneurysm, comparing those who were taking metformin versus not. And again, we found a reduction rate of enlargement over the course of several years. On average, I think a more than four-year follow-up. Although the effect size is a little bit smaller, about a 20% rate of reduction, it remained uh, significant. And in fact, recently there was a meta-analysis published looking at all studies uh, worldwide that have looked at metformin and aneurysm progression, and they all show a rate of reduction, although the effect size varies a little bit based on the sample size evaluated. So we took that to be our signal that we should investigate this prospectively and hence the limit trial. And so the idea here is that it may be the diabetes or it may be metformin, or it may be that it only works in diabetic patients to take metformin. So the limit trial is looking at non-diabetic patients who have an aortic aneurysm, which is not large enough to repair surgically, and then they get randomized to either uh, metformin or an identical placebo tablet. And then they get a baseline CT scan and one, two years later, and they compare the diameter of the aneurysms between the two groups to see if there's uh, some ability to reduce rate of enlargement. We're hoping to enroll uh, 480 patients. That was based on our sample size estimates to achieve a suitable power. Uh, there are other trials which started around the same time, uh, one in Austria, one in Sweden, one in Australia, but they all differ a little bit in their design and their endpoints, and ours is by far the the largest to look at this endpoint of just aneurysm progression. And, you know, we're hopeful that we can answer the question. And I guess one further background point would be that currently uh, there are no medical therapies shown to be effective in preventing progression of aortic aneurysm disease. Mm -hmm. If you have an aneurysm identified on an abdominal imaging study for some other reason, basically you're just told to, you know, don't smoke cigarettes, exercise, and wait until it reaches a point where it's large enough to repair surgically. And so, you know, there's over a million individuals uh, who've been estimated to have 
aortic aneurysm disease in the United States. And if this proves to be effective, then we have an option to mm -hmm. help manage that disease uh, as an alternative to surgery or uh, alternatively, if they've had an endovascular aneurysm repair, which I know you know what that is. That's a uh -huh. procedure we perform here at Stanford. It's possible that by adding a medication like metformin as an adjunctive therapy, that we could make that type of minimally invasive treatment option more durable and more effective. So there's a lot of excitement uh, around yeah. this uh, particular trial. Definitely very exciting. From a patient perspective, I think clinical trials always seem a little scary because you're offering yourself up as sort of a guinea pig. What would you say to a patient who is on the fence about joining the trial? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. You know, there are different ways to enter the trial. One is uh, if you're seeing one of our colleagues, you know, we have 17 vascular surgeons on our faculty mm -hmm. working at multiple locations around the Bay Area. You know, I've we've gotten referrals from a number of those surgeons who understand the potential value of the trial, and they discuss it with their patient, and they provide the context, and then the patient, you know, reaches out to our trial coordinator, Lori McDonald, and um, expresses their interest. Another mm -hmm. option for us to enroll patients is to look through the EMR uh, in a process that's been approved by our institutional review board, identify patients who have aortic aneurysms, and then ask them if they'd be interested in participating. And that is the most common question that comes up. What's in it for me? Why would mm -hmm. I do this? And so uh, to your point, I mean, we don't know if metformin works. Uh, that's the point of the trial. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, because there has been so much interest in metformin as an anti-oncologic agent, one of the patients who was enrolled in the trial told me that once he heard about the trial and was interested in enrolling, he looked into metformin. He said he went down this, quote, rabbit hole about <laughs> metformin as the, as the drug of um, the fountain of youth, uh, longevity. <laughs> no, absolutely. Longevity extension. There are some individuals who believe that taking metformin helps you live longer. There's a whole, wow. other, there's a whole <laughs> other segue about that, which we can talk about. We probably don't have time for that on this podcast. But, I mean, it's controversial. A lot of people are interested in it. So I think the answer to your question is, you know, it would help us immensely, not just here at Stanford, but across the United States, around the world, to come up with a non-surgical therapy. I mean, you can imagine there's some patients who are in their 80s or 90s who, you know, if we could just, for example, double the time to anticipated need for surgical repair, it might never become an option for them. Mm -hmm. Or if we had a way to help endovascular grafts be more durable, because, right. you know, they're not sewn in, they're just placed inside the aorta, the aorta continue to remodel or expand after the device is placed and it can lead to the need for secondary interventions, et cetera. You know, if we had a medical adjuvant therapy that made the aneurysm less biologically active, it would help us also, you know, improve care for those patients as well. So, you know, it may or may not have benefit for the individual patient, that's to be determined. But if we can answer this question and all the preliminary data, as I suggested, all the retrospective data suggests that there's a benefit, we just have to confirm it prospectively. And that's where we think patients will see the value of potentially participating in a trial to help us answer this question. I hope they do. Starting a clinical trial is a complex endeavor. Uh, from what I was reading this morning, there's the IRB submission yeah. and budget approval and now recruitment. What tips do you have for someone going through this process? <laughs> you know, I might not be the right person to ask that question, but uh, so we had, you know, so we had done a previous 
uh, aneurysm-focused uh, clinical trial, actually, in this case, looking at um, the value of supervised exercise training and preventing mm -hmm. aneurysm progression. That was conducted from 2006 to 2012. And, uh, you know, in a similar way, we recruited patients and the intervention was, I mentioned, exercise. The acronym for that trial was AAA STOP, Abdominal <laughs> Aneurysm Simple Treatment or Prevention. Gotta have an acronym. So we had some experience with this. Um, I would say, first and foremost, you need a, a compelling clinical problem. Uh, one that's going to make a big impact on healthcare worldwide because these trials are very expensive and they're hard to justify if it's a very, very niche application or a less, less uh, you know, life-threatening issue, number one. Number two, it's a team sport and we have a large number of co-investigators and, and co-principal investigators. And as I said, investigational pharmacy and, and the Stanford Center for Clinical Research, Department of Surgery, Department of Medicine. I mean, it's, you know, dozens of people involved in this trial and, you know, everybody brings their own expertise and can help kind of make a compelling application. Third, I think you need to have a fair amount of uh, experience in research, both clinical trials and, and translational research to provide the funding agencies with confidence that you can complete the trial as proposed. Fourth, you have to be really committed to the process, to your point. I mean, we had to submit the trial application originally under a specific funding mechanism as one funded. We had to revise it in response to the, you know, critiques. Even before submitting it the first time, we actually had to go through a pre-submission budget approval process. I mean, they wanted to understand what we were proposing before they would even consider scoring the proposal. And so there wow. was that process. We had to source the medication um, you know, and there was a lot of issues. We ended up importing it from Europe. So we had to get an investigational device exemption from FDA, which I oh hold gosh. for this trial. We found a, a sponsor that was willing to donate the drug and the placebo for free. Uh, we had to work through Stanford contracting, industrial contracting, purchasing, IRB. We had to organize a data safety monitoring board, which is an outside a group of experts who have no stake in the trial whatsoever, who review trial progression every six months from the perspective of, you know, participant safety, mm -hmm. looking at adverse events, uh, and also actually looking at preliminary takes on the efficacy because, you know, Rachel, if it looks like it's working spectacularly well early on, they'll call it and say, look, there's no justification for the trial. Wow. Data already suggests it's, uh, there's a, a positive endpoint. Or conversely, if, you know, the adverse events are piling up, maybe it's uh, mm. not a safe trial and should be terminated. So there's lots of aspects to it. And, you know, honestly, I'd be happy to to discuss uh, some of the planning uh, considerations with anybody who's interested, and they can reach me through my email address, rld at stanford.edu. Awesome. Well, I wish you the best of luck with your trial, and I hope we can have you back on the show in a few years to tell us how it went. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Rachel, and your enthusiasm and kind of uh, interest in our, in our project. Of course. If you're interested in referring a patient to the LIMIT trial or happen to be a patient who wants to sign up yourself, you can find information on how to do so in the description. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We want to hear what you think of Scrubcast. You can email us at scrubcast at stanford.edu or hit us up on Twitter at Stanford Surgery. If you like Scrubcast, please share it with your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like us, smash that five-star review. Scrubcast is a production of Stanford University's Department of Surgery. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Baker.
The music is by Midnight Rounds, and our chair is Dr. Mary Hahn.